Well, it's the end of the first day of our retreat together, our first day of practicing together. And we might imagine that everyone else in the retreat is sitting and just feeling the movement of their breath and feeling the earth holding them. And and we ourselves are worrying about our children, our elder parents, our cats, planning our fantasy vacation to get away from the children, the elder parents and the cats. Or maybe that's just my list. So I just want to clarify that even after many years of practice, you will still find yourself sitting and planning and sitting and worrying. Dreaming, dreaming, feeling restless, like you just want to jump up and run out the door. Doubting, doubting yourself, I don't know if I can do this. Doubting the practice, what is this? Why are we here? Did I forget anything? (laughs) Oh yes, exhaustion, yes, sleepiness, drifting and dreaming. Drifting and dreaming is part of the sleepiness family. Oh, anger. Anger's, yeah, the aversion family. That's a big one. Most of us have a specialty among these many possibilities. Some place we notice we spend a lot of time wanting. Wanting, wanting things to be otherwise. That's pretty familiar, right? Yeah, so these are all the ways in which we move away from the present experience. And so you might think, well, if that all goes on, even after some unmentioned number of years of practice, (laughs) then what's the point of this? Um, Well, you might ask. So... Here's the answer. Are you listening? Do I have your attention? (laughs) Okay. So what our practice gives us over time with actual practice, (laughs) not just the passage of time, but time practicing, actually practicing, um, is the possibility of noticing sooner what's happening, what's happening in our experience. We notice sooner what's going on. And we have the possibility of meeting our experience with a little more kindness, a little more spaciousness, a little bit more maybe a little more humor. That's always a plus, given how incredibly human we all are. The 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows are going to happen. And all of our responses and reactions to life, are, it's all going to happen. So the question is, would it be good to be present 
for what's actually happening with a little bit more sense of space, a little more lightness, a little more um, possibility of, yeah, meeting ourselves without quite so much judgment. So right now, just notice that even if you spent the past 20 minutes, that little 20 minutes sitting, with your thoughts on vacation, one way or the other, on some kind of vacation, actually, you were actually sitting right here the whole time. Just sitting and breathing. Sitting and breathing is always going on. It's embarrassing to me how long it took me to realize that. Sitting and breathing is always available and it only takes a moment to come back. I'm going to say that again because it's revolutionary. It only takes a moment to come back, to feel yourself right here. You could even just open your eyes a little bit and realize, oh, I'm at Spirit Rock. I'm actually not on Maui or wherever your fantasy vacation takes place. We all have a specialty. Mine's actually somewhere else, but we won't go there right now. It only takes a moment to realize, oh, 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 here we are. (sighs) Sitting, breathing, practicing, coming back. So I have some stories for you tonight, stories about women's lives. The first one's my life. (laughs) I usually wait until a story has settled for a while and I've actually gotten to the end of the story and I know how it's going to end before I tell a story in public with the tape recorder on. But this is a special case. So I've been with my 89-year-old dad all summer we decided it was not a good idea for him to be alone anymore. He'd had a couple of falls. I just, I don't know, really, being 3,000 miles away just didn't seem like a good idea anymore. So the first couple of months, I was doing really well. I was helping him with some things, and I was taking good care of myself. I was very proud to be able to tell all my friends and my students who I had been telling all these years, when you're under stress, it's really important to take walks, eat well. I was very proud of myself. I even found a swimming pool. I was swimming. All was going very well. And then one morning, my dad could not get out of bed. His right side wasn't moving. His right arm and leg. He had had a stroke during the night. So overnight, my dad had become vulnerable, had become actually helpless. Literally overnight, everything changed. So for for days, I sat with him in the hospital. The first night, I slept, I stayed up all night. I used to be able to do that. Well, it really impacted me this time. 
And so then the, after that, all the long days just continued for a long time. And so after about a week of this intensive vigil, being there to help him with all the things that you need help with when you can't move your right hand, when you're right-handed, and so meals and everything. Um, one night I was driving back to my dad's house to sleep, and on the way home I walked into the local food store. I, went, I walked in for something like milk, and I walked out with a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. This is deeply embarrassing, but it's really true, isn't it? I mean, don't you completely get this story already? (laughs) So sitting in my car eating that first donut, I realized, oh, this tastes like something from my childhood. And I remember that when I was a little when I was uh, a child, my, my aunt and uncle had a bakery. And in our small town where I lived. And so going to that bakery was a big, a big part of my childhood. And they made these donuts that were just melt in your mouth. And I thought they were the, actually the only people who could make those donuts. And I, I was like, all these years, I never knew that you could buy them from Krispy Kreme. <laughs> it was just one of those moments where I just couldn't stop myself from checking it out. <laughs> and sure enough, it was a comfort food from my childhood. There it was. So my practice did not keep me from picking up the box of donuts but it did help me to pause and notice what I was feeling. That was the gift of my practice. And the voice that came to me was not a voice of judgment about those donuts. It was a voice that said, Oh, honey, you really need a rest. You really need to rest. It was the voice of compassion. So if you think it's worth it to you to have the voice of compassion speak to you, then it's worth it to be here. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what the practice gives us, a little more compassion, a little less judgment. So the last few years I've been including in my list of my teachers the women of my own family, my family lineage. My grandmother mom is the the obvious one, the, the first one, because she was really my first teacher. She was um, the one who really showed me the possibility of unconditional love. So she was a Methodist Sunday school teacher who just embodied meeting life with an open heart. 
um, it's really a universal practice that we're doing here, in case you think this is something, you know, that's different. It's really, you know, exactly what my grandmother was embodying. She always welcomed me home with open arms, whatever crazy thing I did, including moving to California and learning to meditate. That was about the craziest thing I did. I can still see her standing on the porch of the old, of the old farmhouse, waiting, with, waiting uh, for me every time I came to visit. But it wasn't just me. She met everyone that way, everyone in her little community. Um, it was how she met life. So the way, the simplest way I can say what this practice is, is we're, we're really cultivating a way of meeting life. Meeting life with our hearts open as much as possible. And that's a really important phrase because if we don't add the as much as possible in any moment, then we start comparing ourselves to, you know, our grandmothers or whoever we might have run into who seemed to already know how to do it. I, I'm just going to ad-lib here for a moment about my grandmother. I used to think she was a natural. I thought she was born with this and that she didn't need to practice. I, on the other hand, had to go back to California and practice every time I was with her. I finally realized at some point she did have a spiritual practice. Every time I stayed with her in the old farmhouse, my bedroom was right next door to hers, and I would hear her in the early morning talking to God. That was her spiritual practice. She had a special voice for talking to God, (laughs) so I knew she was talking to. It was, you know special voice. And it was talking to God about who in the community or who in the family needed a little special help, a little special holding. Um, yeah. So being on the, that farm with my grandparents when I was a little girl was, was the highlight of my world. And The highlight of the day was when my grandmother would take us down to the creek uh, to play. (laughs) It was, you know, the 1950s. Life was really simple. And then every evening when the day's work was done, we would sit out on the porch uh, overlooking out on the pasture. Um, And I can just see and feel my grandparents sitting there, um, my grandmother just sitting, my grandfather just sitting, smoking his pipe, just enjoying the cool of the evening, just like we're doing right now, the cool of the evening. After the day was done, and they were just sitting, they were just sitting watching the light change on the pasture. Years later, I realized that was my first experience of just sitting. Nothing much was happening. 
but we were just being present for the changing of the light, for the changing of the seasons. It wasn't always the same. Sometimes there was a, a lightning storm in the distance. Sometimes there was, you know, uh, lightning bugs. We call them lightning bugs. Some people call them fireflies. The Tibetans actually have a practice called sky gazing. Yeah. Sky gazing is also practiced in the evening as the light is soft. We watch the sit with the light changing or the early morning when the light is soft and just sitting open to the changing of the light, open to the changing of life inside of us and all around us. So, in our retreat we create these kind of conditions that will allow us to have this kind of experience. That's why I'm going to kind of detail with you. Because I really want you to notice that we have time to pause and notice when the the light is changing on the hills. And notice when the light is changing in the sky. And notice the vastness of the night sky, the darkness of the night. We have time to be present for the unfolding of life around us and inside of us. And to meet life with this quality of presence that is inclusive, that includes whatever is happening, whether it's comfortable or it's uncomfortable, whether it's pleasant or not so pleasant, whether it's what we expected or it's not what we expected. The practice is, include even this. That's the mantra, even this. Whatever happens next, even this. So we start to notice that life is actually a flow. It doesn't stay the same. It might sort of seem like it's the same, but when we slow down, we start to notice that every moment is a new experience. Yeah. So there's a flow of changing sensations in our bodies, a flow of breath. Every breath is not the same. As we slow down and simplify and actually become interested in our breath, we notice that there is a wide variety of breath. Sometimes it's deep and full, sometimes it's very subtle, not so easy to even feel it. There's waves of thoughts arising, taking shape, dissolving. There's sounds arising, like my words. These words are arising, disappearing back into the silence. Just like that are waves of emotion, waves of stories are arising, taking shape, 
dissolving back into the silence, changing into something else. The thought leads to another thought. Have you noticed that thoughts are endless? (laughs) Unless we really consciously notice. And then, oh, I think I know the end of the story. Maybe I'll just put the story aside and notice what's happening right now in my body. That's one of the possibilities here. Ah, yeah. So we begin to understand why poets and mystics of every tradition have reminded us in their own way of the importance of living in the moment, of coming back to here. They say, live here, rest here, be here. Because with the practice of living in the moment, resting in the moment, being present in the moment, life becomes much more interesting. It becomes actually endlessly fascinating. What will happen next? We don't know. Will will we be present for that? It would be good. Whether it's a new joy or a really challenging, life-changing event. It's really good to be able to ah, drop in, be present. Okay, okay, now this. We begin to recognize that life is both totally ordinary and also endlessly completely mysterious. We really don't know what will happen next. So if we get a little bit lulled into the, oh my gosh, I've got three more days of being quiet. Is that right? Oh, haven't we been here for like three days already? (laughs) I hope that what I'm saying tonight and what we're all saying in different ways, we're just like these little voices just pointing Notice this. Notice it. Notice this. That's our job. We love our job. Every one of us loves being here. So, as women, this is maybe the most important thing I have to say tonight. So, listen up. As women, we intuitively know the nature of life. There is no better place for practicing awareness, for a spiritual practice, for waking up to the nature of life than in this woman's body, your own body. Historically, that would have been a radical, if not dangerous, thing to say. So let me say it again. This is what keeps us coming back. (laughs) There is no better place for spiritual practice than right here in your own body. Your own body, your own woman's body. Our bodies tell us everything we need to know about the nature of life, about our own nature. 
It's the most natural thing in the world for a woman to recognize the nature of life. We are intimately interwoven with all the cycles, all the way through our lives. The cycles of life are self-evident to women. Women care for life from the first moment of our lives to the last. We are, you know, very busy all the way through from birth to, to death. Women are involved with caring for life in so many different ways. We naturally and effortlessly honor life. We recognize the preciousness of life. The first precept does not come as a surprise to us. Honoring life, of course we do. Protecting life, of course we do. That's what we do. We know about the sacredness of life. And it's important to name this reality of women's wisdom because we still live in a world where the innate wisdom of women, the natural, inherent wisdom of women is not always recognized. It's not. It's true. It's changing, things are better, and it's still true. And so as we practice, we are not only restoring trust in ourselves, in our own wisdom, but we are also helping to heal the wounds of all the generations of women whose wisdom was not seen, was not heard, was not recognized, in so many ways, in so many ways was not honored. So our world needs us to do this. Our world needs us to take care of ourselves, to practice, to um, protect and care for our inner lives, which is what we're doing here together. So that we can live more continuously from our hearts, from the wisdom of our hearts and so that every woman can give her gift to our families, to to our communities, and to our world. Our world needs us in so many ways. We each have a part to play. We each have a gift to give. And so there's something important about having recognized the importance of coming here, that I just want to name that, again, to take a moment to be grateful to yourself for having recognized the importance of caring for yourself, of taking time for yourself. And not just once in a while to take a retreat, but to know that this needs to be more and more continuous. This is not just something that's like a once in a while thing. It's something that as a woman, we have to find for ourselves the time, the space, on a regular, regularly in our, in our lives. We make the time. Take this time. So pause for a moment, let your eyes close, and feel the truth that these words are pointing to. The truth of your natural access to wisdom.
And just taking a moment to notice how, how you care for yourself in your life. The ways that you do care for yourself. Starting with making the intention to come here and getting yourself here. This is not a small thing for any woman. And just noticing that you did that. And some of you got your friends here. And now a moment of just reflecting on how you care for yourself in your life. Other ways that, in small ways, that you recognize, oh, I, I do. I do have some ways that I, I hold the intention to take care of myself. And the intention is really a powerful tool. And it will go with you again when you return home. And you may have some new intentions. But right now we're just naming the wisdom, the natural wisdom that invites you again and again to say, my inner life is important. And I can care for myself. And I can be present for myself and know this. And recognize my own inner wisdom, my natural access to wisdom. Thank you. So I want to tell you about my friend Mark, my dear friend Mark, who is a dear Dharma sister. She's a wonderful artist. She went to the Middle East with her husband years ago and um, to make a kind of a long story short, short um, <clears throat> she had her, her painting supplies shipped over to Saudi Arabia and she made an art studio in the attic of the house where they were living. And knowing that it was not... um, It was forbidden, actually, to photograph or paint the women, she did it anyway. (laughs) And in her attic studio, she made made paintings... uh, inspired by the women of the Middle East. So I have some of these paintings in my house. They're so abstract that nobody would have guessed what she was doing, but she was respectful, and so she did her painting in the attic of, of that house. So, so that just gives you a little glimpse into who she is. So now at the age of 84... She is deep into the experience of dementia. Just living in the moment. The the interesting thing is that Mark has always been someone who's lived in the moment. And I've had this experience of her that I, I have with a lot of my Dharma sisters that, 
You know, we see each other and it's like, oh, hi, there you are. It's like we never, you know, just take up wherever we left off. There's not a, not a, you know, we don't have to try to remember each other. We just kind of live in that being present thing. (laughs) But Mark was like the age of my parents. So there was something really precious and special to me always. When I first met her, I was just like, wow, she's pretty present. You know, she'd had a very interesting life and been a Dharma practitioner for many years. So she was really there every time we ever had a chance to meet each other. And she still is. So, yeah. There's just that feeling of timeless connection. I'm sure you have people in your life like that, so you know what I mean. So a few weeks ago, uh, Mark and I had one of those timeless conversations. Um, And she and her husband are now moving to be closer to their children, and I'm spending a lot of time in a whole other state. And it may, in what may have been our last conversation in this lifetime, the last thing she said to me was, Isn't life sweet? Aren't you glad we got a chance at it? Doesn't that just say it all? Isn't life sweet? Aren't you glad we got a chance at it? Wow. That was a good, that sort of summed up my approach to life. Every one of us has a chance at life the opportunity to be present for our lives. I mean, that's the great mystery. How did we get here? How did we get a chance at this? I don't know, but we did. We got a chance at the precious human birth. It's not a small thing to be a human, to be in a Dharma hall, to be well enough to be at this retreat receiving these teachings is a very amazing, not a small thing, not to be taken lightly. This retreat is a gift. Yeah. So this is what we're cultivating in this practice, the possibility of being present for our lives because we don't want to miss our lives. We don't want to miss our lives. We don't want to miss this opportunity to be alive and to be awake to our lives. Yeah. So I want to end tonight. Tonight, This is, you know, just... Uh, going to be a few more minutes, but I do want you to be awake, so take a moment just to adjust your posture or stretch for a little bit right where you are. Don't go anywhere. Stay present. (laughs) Stay in the room. Don't run out restlessly. (laughs) I hope you're having as much fun as I am tonight. (laughs) I always feel anxious and then I get started and I just have fun. (laughs) 
Okay, so I'd like to um, invite you to just sit comfortably and to have your eyes softly closed or softly open as you wish. I'm going to invite you to consider three questions. This is an inquiry. There's not a right answer. So just sitting with the question and notice what comes. Here's the first question. Ask yourself, what keeps me from being present? What keeps me from being present? And just notice what's happening. There's not any special thing that you should be noticing. Just notice, noticing what's happening right now. What keeps me from being present? Thank you. Here's the next question. Ask yourself, what's keeping me from being present right now? What's keeping me from being present right now? Just noticing what's happening in your mind, in your body, in your heart. As you ask yourself this second question, how does it feel to be present right now? The last question. How does it feel to be present right now?
whatever is happening in your experience, feeling present, not feeling present, feeling tired, whatever is happening right now, just notice with kind attention, with inclusive attention, with spacious attention. Thank you. So you may find yourself coming back to these questions over the next few days. I'm going to put them on the board outside so that you can refer to them in case you don't remember. Um, If you're interested, just to um, ask yourself these three questions. And stay open to see what you might discover. So we have time now for walking meditation. Enjoy the cool of the evening. And then we'll be back in about half an hour for uh, silent sitting for those of you who have the energy to come and sit. It's a beautiful time of night to uh, have a quiet sitting. We'll make the room a little a little uh, quieter lighting, and you are invited. You're also invited to sit late if you like to sit beyond the time that the bell rings after the last sitting. For those of you who are um, uh, have the interest and the curiosity to sit longer, it's always you're always invited. This hall is always available, early and late. So, thank you. <laughs>